Page 
our announcements go of things going on here at the church remember this coming sunday after the morning service there's going to be adult choir practice so you remember that and plan on staying and practicing with the choir then on april the 16th uh, at the murrayville park there'll be an easter egg cookout at 11 a.m beginning that morning so you pray about that and plan on that also this coming sunday night uh, no, yes, no. Next Sunday night, April the 10th, uh, we've got Jaden's Call, which is a singer, uh, Deborah Perry and her uh, family will be in with us and they'll be singing at, during the PM service. And so remember all of that and be praying for it. Then also May the 22nd, Brother Bud Stiltner will be in with us to, to uh preach to us all day on that day. As far as our prayer requests go, remember Brother Robert Lloyd uh, got good news on him today. He gets out of the rehab on this coming Sunday, and he's doing great. Had the stroke and everything, and so we need to continue praying for him, though, him and Brother Keith both. Um, also, last night, um, Karen... And Rick came by the house, and they were just talking to us. And you know, she had the brain bleeds on both sides of her brain. Well, she just found out from a, a doctor that she went to see that she did have many strokes. And uh, didn't know that the whole time she was in the hospital. They never told her anything like that. They said she, the doctor told her looking at the, the, uh, the pictures of the the tests that they ran and all that, she's had several strokes. And so pray for Sister Karen that God would be with her and, and take care of her through all this. Also got a, a phone call this afternoon right before I left coming to church. Sister Peggy Phillips is on her way to the hospital uh, complaining of chest pains. And so we need to pray for her also, Peggy Jackson. And continue remembering uh, my wife, Sister Debbie, that, that God would be with her. She's actually had a good day today, and I, I thank you all from the depths of my heart for praying for her. 
she had her first therapy session today and during that therapy session the therapist tried to trigger the dizziness and she couldn't and and i told debbie i said well the lord may have just healed you baby because uh, the therapist said well maybe the crystals have reset themselves of course uh i know who resets things like that amen so anyway uh continue praying for her she's she's at home she's exhausted and uh, but had a good day today so continue praying for her. and again I, I thank every one of you for praying for the way you have how about your prayer request tonight any on your heart sister debbie Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else tonight? Anything on your hearts? Anything else tonight on your hearts? Anybody else? All right, well, let's, Brother King. So let's come gather around these altars tonight and ask God's blessings upon the prayer request and the service.
of you too. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. Well, look here, we got Miss Amanda in the service with us. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter five. We've been studying through the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5, which uh, cover about 12 verses, uh, the opening verses of Matthew 5. And uh, we'll read through verse number 6 tonight and cover another Beatitude. And I pray that these studies have been a blessing to you. I know they've been such a blessing to me to, to study them out and then prepare the lesson. And I pray that, that God would bless it into your lives also. Let's look at beginning verse number 1 of Matthew 5. It said, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then tonight, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's our text for the night, verse number six. Let's read it again together, and then we'll pray and, and do our study together. He said it like this, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come before you, Lord. We're a blessed people, and we thank you for being so good to us. Lord, you're a wonderful God, and we appreciate you being so, so kind to every one of us. Lord, how many times, Lord, this body of people have gotten on their knees together and prayed. And Lord, you've heard our cry, and you've answered prayers, Lord, untold amount of prayers, Lord, on our behalf, and we're thankful, Father, for it. Lord, as we approach the scriptures tonight, Lord, we're asking, Lord, that you please be with us and please open our hearts, open our spirits to you tonight, Lord, and may the good word of God have free course and be glorified among us, and may it do a work of God within all of our hearts. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. Now, in Jesus Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen. You, you can be seated tonight. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Look at our sheets together, and we'll, we'll go through this study together on, I believe this one, two, three, the fourth beatitude, which it says again, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Remember, we've been studying these beatitudes from the aspect that the Lord is telling them what our attitude should be concerning different things that we will encounter as we live out the Christian life. There's a lot of people that believe that the Beatitudes tell us how to be saved, how to conduct ourselves to be saved, but it's not telling us how to be saved, but rather how we should live because we are saved. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and living for Him is a totally different life than living for the world or living for ourselves. And I can honestly say it's totally different than living for sin. Amen. But tonight, we, we want to cover this fourth beatitude, which He said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
And we want to consider that thought tonight and look at what our attitude should be concerning. Uh, and you see at the very top of the page, this is dealing with our attitude toward our sins. Our first beatitude was our attitude concerning our spirits. The next one was uh, those, uh, our attitude towards suffering. The third one was our attitude toward our Savior. But now we want to look at this tonight, our attitude toward, look at this, our sins. We're so good at looking at other people and looking at their sins. But this is going to deal with our personal sins. And let's study this together. The use of the pronoun they, and I've listed all the verses that that pronoun appears in, repeatedly throughout the discourse of the Beatitudes, emphasizes the desire of Jesus to reach as many of the people possible in this mass congregation. His aspiration would emphatically be a 100% positive response, but we know that that's not going to be the case. It also shows his blanket appeal to whosoever. The amazing thing about the ministry of Jesus is that he never forces his will on anyone. He makes his appeal to the masses and then leaves the choice up to the individual. The proof of, his, the proof of this is in his final comment at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus said these words after all saying all that he said. The Beatitudes, all the things that he spoke about. He said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, look at this, and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Further proof, proof of his trying to reach everyone in the crowd and leaving the decision up to the individual is found toward the end of our passage of study. Jesus uses the word they repeatedly and then narrows his comments to the individual heart beginning in verse number 11 with the usage of the pronouns ye and you. In other words, Jesus is talking to they, they, anybody, they, they, blessed are they, they, they. And then he narrows it down and says, you, you, blessed are you. So <clears throat> he repeatedly uses the word they and then narrows his comments to the individual heart, beginning verse 11, with the usage of the pronouns ye and you. And finally, he informs the entire multitude that if any individual would apply what they have learned from him, their reward would be great. He said in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, what Jesus does, he gives the word of God to everybody. And then he, he blesses the individual that will hear and do what God says. He blesses anyone who will personally accept the word of God. And then begin living the word of God. He appeals to their moments of decision by reminding them that others, the prophets, in verse number 12, have done it and so can you. Jesus would never tell us to live in a certain manner without it being possible for us to do so. The hard thing 
for us to learn in our attempts to do so is that without Jesus, we can do nothing. It is impossible for us to live out these Beatitudes without the empowering of Jesus working in our lives. In our own power, there will be failure, but all things are possible with our Lord. In Zechariah 4, 6, a tremendous verse of Scripture says this, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by our own might, not by our own power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Then in Matthew 19, 26, we read these words. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Can I get an amen right there? The subject presented in this verse of study is our attitude toward sins. The Lord addresses the topic of righteousness. This one subject is so complex that it would take years. I'm, I'm serious. This is a complex subject when you approach this thought of righteousness. And it would take years to fully study the vast number of verses which cover it in its entirety. There are well over 500 verses that mention this particular attribute. Righteousness is something that Jesus said that we should hunger and thirst after. Let's consider the definition of righteousness. The reason the subject of righteousness is so complicated is found in this truth. We are all sinful. Our nature is so sinful that we cannot comprehend what it means to be righteous. Uh, this past Sunday morning, I was just sitting on the front row during the morning service. And Brother Warren and Michelle came in and Brother Warren sat beside me. And I was just thinking about the Lord and his righteousness. And can you imagine Jesus Christ becoming sin for us? We're so, we're so sinful that we can't even comprehend what Jesus really went through becoming sin for us. We're so adapted. We're so used to sin. Our, our thoughts about righteousness are even wrong. And, and I was just thinking about all that, but let's look at some things. Our nature is so sinful that we cannot comprehend what it means to be righteous. Isaiah 64, 6 says, watch this, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our, look at this, righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. At our very best, we are unrighteous in the eyes of God. The Pharisees sought and claimed their righteousness to be according to the law. So much so was their claim to righteousness that they thought everyone should be like them. In other words, they thought their lives demonstrated the epitome of righteousness. But Jesus unmasked the truth of their lives when he said these words in Matthew 5, 20. He said, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness is such a serious issue with God that without it, there is no entrance into heaven. 
The only way for anyone to enter God's dwelling is to be righteous. <coughs> Heaven, <coughs> excuse me, is a righteous place and unrighteousness would corrupt and defile heaven. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says this, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. Look at this, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And then Revelation 21, 27 says this, And there shall in no wise, talking about heaven, enter into it anything that defileth. So we on our own could never go to heaven in our own righteousness because our righteousnesses is as filthy rags. So, Houston, we have a problem. How would any one of us ever have the opportunity of entering heaven? The answer is found as always in Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. That's what he told John Baptist at his baptism. And he, the sinless son of God, did exactly that without any sin. Jesus lived out his entire life. Hebrews 4.15 says this about Jesus. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, talking about Jesus again, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The only way for God to see or claim us as righteous is through the work of imputation. That's a big word, but let's discover what that means. That word simply means to reckon to one what does not belong to him. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ is placed to the account of the believing individual. So, Jesus is our righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31, it says this, But of Him, talking about Jesus, But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, look at this, wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We who are saved enjoy the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I've heard some say that whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that his sins, Adam and Eve's sins, were imputed to us. And they say, well, that's not fair because we weren't given the chance like Adam. But we're all sinners in the eyes of God. And we better praise God for the doctrine of imputation. Because just as Adam's sins were imputed to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ can also be imputed to us. <laughs> Look in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for he hath made him... To be sin for us who knew no sin. Look at this. That we might be made the righteousness of God where? In Christ. Speaking of the life of Abraham, God illustrates the reality of imputation in the book of Romans. He said this in Romans 4, 19 through 25. And being not weak in faith, speaking of Abraham. 
He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And therefore, therefore, because he believed God, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we are proclaimed as righteous in the eyes of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is how God legally and justifiably allows any sinner saved by grace to enter heaven. If that is true, all right, here we are. How many of you are saved in here tonight? Say amen. All right, you're righteous. Now you're able to go to heaven, not because you in and of yourself are righteous, but because Jesus Christ, the righteousness of him has been placed to your account. Now God looks at you as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, if that is true, then why does Jesus make the comment in our verse of study? Why should we who are considered righteous hunger and thirst after righteousness? I mean, we've got it made. <laughs> His righteousness has been attributed to our accounts, to our lives, so that we can go to heaven. Why should we hunger and thirst after righteousness? The righteousness that Jesus is referring to must go beyond the scope of imputed righteousness. He is talking about a personal, practical, and practicing righteousness of a believer. It is one thing to have the imputed righteousness of Christ attributed to our lives, but it is a totally different matter for us to live out that righteousness on a daily basis. Can I get a witness right there? So our verse of study says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's consider, secondly, the desire of righteousness. When someone is saved, the new nature of Christ is born into their lives. We enjoy the life of Jesus Christ in us. It is not just a catchphrase of the Christian life, but rather it is a living reality. Jesus Christ lives in us. In Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says these words, Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Many are the verses which point us to the fact that righteousness should be the aim or desire of every child of God. In Isaiah 51, 1, listen to these words. Hearken unto me, 
Ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye were hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye were digged. Zephaniah 2.3 says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Then in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is the righteousness that we are told to seek? Simply defined by scripture, it is what is right according to God. In Isaiah 45, 19, as I was studying, preparing this lesson, God showed me this verse, and this is one of the most simplistic, down-to-earth definitions of righteousness in all of the Word of God. Isaiah 45, 19, this is God speaking. He said, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. In other words, what he has said, he has said to the entire world in the light. He said, I said not unto the seeds of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak, look at this, righteousness. Now, here's his definition. I declare things that are right. So righteousness is what's right in the eyes of God. God is the final authority on what is right, and it might be added what is wrong. Our generation wants to define their own righteousness. They think themselves to be the authority of what is right or wrong. If our world keeps treading this path, nothing will be wrong. Me and Brother Ray were talking about that yesterday. The only thing wrong in the imagination of this world is what God's Word said it is wrong. Isaiah 5 verse 20 and 21 says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. With all the clamor and demands made upon our society and governing bodies to accept the world's unrighteousness, the Word of God is clear of their outcome. Further on in, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, God says this about those that call good evil and evil good. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord, look at this, kindled against His people. And He has stretched forth His hand against them and has smitten them. And the hills did tremble and the carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In this passage, God is angry with his people. Why? Because they sought the ways of the world rather than God's ways. They agreed, accepted, and even practiced the sinful ways of the world. 
Anytime a child of God desires to be a friend of this world, it is certain that they will become the enemy of God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, every child of God has got a choice to make. We either live, continue living for the world, or we live for Jesus Christ. And, and brethren, we best, the church better get on Jesus' side. The church has drifted far, far away from God and His Word. And I believe that today we are seeing God's judgment upon not just the world, and we are, but we're seeing God's judgment upon the church today. Uh, I believe we've got Biden in office because it's God's will to give us Biden. We get what we deserve in life. And we got a president that is just anything but righteous. Anything, he stands for anything except God's word. And, and I believe God's done that as judgment upon not just the world, but the church. In our days of political correctness and the efforts of the council culture movement, it is rare to see someone who is bold enough to stand for the Lord. Yet the Lord makes the desire of His heart clear. He desires for His people to desire His righteousness. No matter the direction of the world, we are to set our sights on our Savior and His righteousness. And... We are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does that mean? Have you ever been hungry or thirsty? If so, at that point, that is all you can think of. It is an inner passion that drives your life when you're hungry and thirsty. You want food and you want something to drink and that is all that matters. That is the intensity of the seeking Jesus is referencing. The saved should desire to live the righteous life or what is right in the eyes of God. Have you ever had the desire to live righteous? Every saved person has room for improvement. We're told throughout the, so throughout the scripture. In Hebrews 12, verse number 1, the word of God reads like this. It says, wherefore... Seeing we, speaking to the church, speaking to saved people, he said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We still have the old nature to contend with every day. And there are weights and sins which easily lure us into his clutches. So then how do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Let's consider the delight of righteousness finally. In Isaiah 58 two, Jesus or the word of God speaking to his people, he said, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. And forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. 
They take delight in approaching to God. As we live out our Christian life, we sin in some fashion. And then being convicted of that sin, we ask God for forgiveness. And thank God He is faithful to forgive us. Can I get a witness of name in right there? Thank God He'll forgive over and over and over and over and over. He told Peter, seven times 70. Remember Clay, you talking to us about seven times 70 490 times in a day's run forgive them forgive them forgive he forgives us over and over and over first john 1 9 says it like this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through his faithfulness to forgive us God's aim is to cleanse us from that sin. As we struggle with that besetting sin, our old nature still loves it. So we must reckon ourselves to be dead to that sin. Romans 6.11 says it like this. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our desire should be such that we want to be cleansed. Not just forgiven, but cleansed from that sin. In other words, we should hunger and thirst after righteousness that we no longer desire or want that sin to beset us. When we ask for His forgiveness, if we have the attitude that we will seek it again, God knows that attitude. He said it like this in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I remember in my, in my pastorate down in Waycross, there was a, a, a fellow in our church. He was a single guy and a Christian, very vocal Christian, very outwardly uh, he was a, a good witness for the Lord, but his life, the way he lived his life was just a, well, it was a reproach to the name of Christ. He lived with a woman. They weren't married. He lived with a woman and his attitude was this. We ask God every day to forgive us. And the whole while he had it in his heart, they were going to continue living with each other. So, if he just asked for forgiveness for it every day, in his mind, he was okay with God. I'm okay with God. I ask for forgiveness. God forgives. Is that any way for a child of God to truly live their lives? He said that he forgives us and also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When we bathe we don't want any dirt of the day to remain on us. We want to be cleansed of all nastiness. We want the dirt to go down the drain and be gone from us. That is the way we should view that besetting sin. We should not only desire forgiveness, we should hunger and thirst for the besetting sins and waste to be cleansed from our hearts. In 2 Timothy 2.22, the Word of God says it like this. Flee also youthful lusts. 
but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Philippians 1, 10 and 11, that ye may approve things that are excellent, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are about Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Then 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. The one fight that God certainly will aid us in is the good fight against our sins. And we truly are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Slay that giant. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Wow. Let's all stand tonight. If you enjoyed that, say amen.